Hello, Insiders, and a very pleasant good afternoon to you, wherever you may be. This is your host, Bruce Ash, joining you live from my secure bunker located in the heart of Coronado, California, where thousands of patriots like you and I live in this free little village. My good friend and co-host, Eb Wilkinson, is on assignment today. I'm glad to join you all on my own, and I'm glad you've joined us for another special edition of Inside Track. Happy Saturday. I've spent the past week in Coronado with my wife, getting all of the new flowers planted in the front yard and making plans for doing a whole big new section in the backyard. It's been a fun week spending time out here in the cool weather. I'll say something that's really going to upset you because I think it's over 100 degrees in Tucson today. I even wore a sweatshirt while working outside in the yard. Thanks for tuning in today. We welcome your calls at the Imus Wilkinson hotline at 790-2040. That's 790-2040. The show is better with your participation. I believe we have another spectacular show for you today. In just a moment after our first break, we'll chat with one of the good guys at the University of Arizona, Dr. Ed Wright. Edward Wright is professor of Hebrew Bible and early Judaism and has served as the director of the Arizona Center for Judaic Studies at the University of Arizona since 2000. Dr. Wright received his PhD from Brandeis University and did additional graduate study at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem and the Harvard Divinity School. We'll talk to him a little bit about his experiences uh, in Israel. I've known Ed for many years, and in addition to his extensive biblical knowledge, he's also a keen observer of today's issues in Israel and the Middle East, where his relationships are very deep. In our final segment today, we will speak again with Arizona House member from Legislative District 11. Our special guest will be Mark Fincham. Uh, the left is after him again, and we'll hear from Mark on the latest news on that, along with recent actions by Governor Doug Ducey, who just vetoed 22 most, mostly very important GOP-passed uh, pieces of legislation over disagreements with Republicans on the budget. Okay, this portion of Inside Track is brought to you by my co-host, Ed Wilkinson, and his partner, Gary Imus from Imus Wilkinson Investment Management, whose baby steps approach to your wealth management is designed so you never solely have to depend on socialist security. Ed manages my sister, uh, my sister's wealth and does a fabulous job. Call Ed at 777-1911 and let him help you also. I hope all of our listeners enjoyed a reflective Memorial Day weekend last week. Here in Coronado on the Main Street, Orange Avenue, hundreds of, fly, of flags fly from our, uh, for, our, for all of our national holidays. And being a Navy town, there was a meaningful ceremony in the square uh, last Monday for all of our foreign, uh, fallen heroes. Everyone in California, also I should add, is very much looking forward to the opening of the state on June 15th and a return, they hope, to normalcy and liberty for all. Gavin Newsom, though, still needs to go, and the voters won't uh, uh, long, they won't long forget the extreme pain he's cost uh, all of them. Hey, before we go to the break, I'd love, I'd love to cover some news from the past week. Uh, we'll get to the good news first. Uh, the Phoenix Suns crushed 
the Los Angeles Lakers to move on to the next round of NBA playoffs. Uh, this is not a sports show, and I'm not really an NBA fan, but all of us are fans of our Arizona teams. Best of luck to the Suns, who have not been in the playoffs for almost a decade, I think. And um, they now get ready to face the Denver Nuggets. Also, congratulations and best of luck to the U of A men's baseball team. They defeated Grand Canyon University uh, last night, 12-6, to 6, and move on this evening to face UC Santa Barbara in the winner's bracket of the College World Series regional play here in Tucson. Go Cats! I'll be listening to that game on the radio for sure. The Lady Cats softball team are playing at this moment in, um, uh, in the World Series in Omaha. And uh, the score is uh, two to nothing Cats, I think, in the fifth inning right now. And um, they are facing Florida State in the NCAA Softball World Series. Everyone's rooting for Mike Candrea. His Pac-12 Conference champs team has been fighting back all season long. Let's root them on also. In weird news from Tucson, that's not too unusual. It's not usually a good thing when Tucson news becomes national news. Uh, there's been several documented reports about very advanced drones uh, who, which have been spotted flying uh, by law enforcement here in Tucson uh, in an area uh, where they have outrun uh, law enforcement. Uh, these helicopters are uh, also operating in restricted airspace. Hopefully this gets figured out real soon before anybody gets hurt. Now here's a piece of news that we should be proud of. U.S. Senators planning a trip to Taiwan to visit with leading members of their government. It's about time. The Red Chinese won't be very happy, but this is a brave show of support for the free Taiwanese people. And it's never too late to support freedom and liberty against tyrants. We've seen what has happened this past week in Hong Kong, where longtime leaders of a a uh, yearly held peaceful demonstration memorializing those killed in the Tiananmen Square massacre were jailed this week and held by communist officials there in violation of the basic law, which has almost uh, been ignored by the malign government of the People's Republic of China. Lastly, in the not-so-good news category, the G7 finance ministers meeting in London yesterday passed a global corporate tax scheme. Under the agreement, G7 nations will back a global minimum corporate tax of at least 15%. These so-called reforms will affect the largest companies in the world with profit margins of at least 10%. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, who voted for this questionable global tax plan at the face-to-face -face meeting, hailed the move as significant and unprecedented. I agree the vote was significant. This vote was truly an unprecedented collectivist dream come true and is significantly flawed. Another wrong step by this administration toward a global tax, not just for corporations, but you know, this is really a tax, friends, on all citizens. American sovereignty further at risk and this is just another clear message of the consequences from last November's election, which created less freedom and more government by the new administration, which definitely is not middle of the road. Do not ever forget, no corporate tax is solely paid for by big business. 
It is every customer who pays their share of a corporate tax increase. Bad enough, the president wants to increase U.S. corporate taxes by over 100%. Worse yet, to pour it on with a new globalist tax scheme as well. Mr. Producer, let's go ahead and take our first uh, break. When we return, Middle East and biblical scholar Dr. Ed Wright will join us for a talk about that region. And we'll also talk about anti-Semitism, which has been embraced not just by Muslim extremists in the Middle East, but in significant numbers by the American left here at, here at home. Stay tuned. We'll return after the following messages. I'm proud to welcome my good friends at Tucson Iron and Metal Retail to Inside Track as an advertiser. Jamie Kipper and her staff are conservation experts. They sell round and square steel tubing, metal plate and roofing materials, as well as new and used steel, aluminum, and stainless steel to ranchers, artists, interior designers, roofers, and do-it-yourselfers, just like all of the listeners here. Tucson Iron and Metal Retail is open Monday through Fridays, 8 a.m. to 4.30 p.m., and Saturdays, 8 a.m. to noon. Tucson Iron and Steel Retail, 701 East 36th Street. Call 520-209-1576 or go to tucsonironretail.com. And when you do call, mention this ad and receive an additional 10% discount on their already great prices. It's termite season. Fear the blue trucks from Essential Pest Control. Go blue at Essential Pest Control. We'll eliminate those bugs, bees, and termites. And stop paying too much to that national provider. Buy local for great service and affordable rates. Call Essential Pest Control because termites fear the blue. Ah, run for your life. Call for the blue trucks from Essential Pest Control. 886-3029. That's 886-3029. Or check online at EssentialPest.com. I'm Ev Wilkinson with Imus Wilkinson Investment Management. I don't ever want you to be dependent on government ever again. I want you to become financially independent. You will never, ever have to depend on socialist security for your survival. We are here to guide you to financial independence. That's imuswilkinson.com, 777-1911. That's 777-1911. Hey, welcome back to Inside Track. This portion of today's show brought to you by our friends, Jamie and Gary Kipper from Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. They have some of the best new surplus materials just delivered that they've ever had to help you with your next project. Everyone can find something for the home or ranch at Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. Plus, they have super low prices. Don't go to the big box store. Check out what locals have to offer. Like Jerry, like Gary and Jamie uh, at their store, which is located at, in the 700 block of East 36th Street. And hey, when you visit Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus, ask Jamie about her chickens and maybe pick up a dozen eggs while you're there also. And friends, don't forget that summer temps, and they're getting higher and higher every day, bring more desert critters and pests. Call 886-3029 for Eric Rudin and his great team at Essential Pest Control to protect your home business as well as your kids and doggies and not necessarily in that order. I hope uh, to get essential pest owner Eric Rudin on the show real soon to talk about how they can protect your home. These are two great locally owned family businesses you can depend upon, Eb and I do, 
so should you. Okay, on to our first guest, Middle East history scholar, University of Arizona, Professor Dr. Ed Wright. Edward is the director of the Arizona Center for Judaic Studies. I've known him and admired his work for many years. Thanks for joining us, Ed. Tell our listeners about your background a little bit. I know you lived in Jerusalem. Um, tell us all about it. Sure. Bruce, it's a great pleasure to join you today. Uh, yes, I have lived uh, in Israel for a few years. I was uh, there as a graduate student at the university, and then uh, I also uh, was there for several years then, also was president of the W.F. Albright Institute for Archaeological Research, uh, the American Archaeological Research Institute in Jerusalem. I was president for six years. Wow. And the, um, uh, Albright, and you, Institute it, it, ha- uh, the Albright Institute no, happens to be located in East Jerusalem, which is the, uh, you know, the Arab side of town. So in that context, I've lived on both sides of the Green Line and experienced uh, life both uh, uh, you know, among uh, Israeli Jews and then also among the uh, Israeli Arabs and the, <clears throat> the permanent residents of East Jerusalem. I don't think I've ever asked you this question, Ed. What were the years that you lived in Israel? Uh, the first time was from 1985 to 1987, and then back in the mid-60s for, uh, on sabbatical, and uh, again around 2006. So a few times. Wow. Yeah, great changes in the state of Israel um, through all of those uh, decades, haven't there? Oh, my. Jerusalem uh, is an entirely different city from what I remember from my first days there. And obviously, uh, things change through time. And the demographics have changed markedly. The development within the city has changed dramatically. And the traffic has changed dramatically. (laughs) So, Ed, full disclosure, when I was a student at the University of Arizona in the last millennia, I took several Judaic studies courses, which were kind of a precursor for some of the biblical history that you and your colleagues uh, teach today. Uh, To some, it might not seem interesting. They were to me. Uh, The classes you teach are pretty popular today, aren't they? Sure. Anything to do with ancient Israel is very popular among a wide range of students. We serve, in the Center for Judaic Studies, we serve people from across campus. So we have, we have our own majors and minors, but we also uh, uh, serve uh, general education courses for students uh, in molecular and cellular biology and pre-med and uh, uh, history, uh, religious studies, anthropology across the, uh, uh, across the university. So it's, uh, it's, our classes are diverse. Hmm. Um, So let's get to it. Over 70 years of conflict where Israel has had to defend itself against their neighbors who vowed to rid the the region of Jews from the river to the sea. Uh, Today, is there a partner for peace between Israel and the Palestinians who live in the region? Well, I think uh, talking about the Palestinians living in the region, you you, you have to deal with two different groups. Uh, The Palestinians living in the West Bank and the Palestinians living in Gaza. Uh, as recent events have shown, the Palestinians uh, and the Palestinian leadership in Gaza is uh, not a friend for peace. 
these clearly want to expel Jews from the from the river to the sea, uh, and uh, obviously with their uh, rocket attacks that initiated this uh, last uh, military exchange, uh, they are not a, a, a partner for peace uh, at this point. In fact, they're designated as a terrorist. Uh, the Hamas leadership there, Hamas is the uh, military political um, arm that controls Gaza, is designated internationally as a terrorist organization. In the West Bank, however, the Palestinian Authority, led by Mahmoud Abbas, is uh, actually a, a has long been a potential partner for peace. But those those negotiations, those efforts to to move towards a, uh, a peace uh, between these uh, groups has been elusive. Uh, so I would say there's when you talk uh, about uh, who's the partner, the people in the West Bank are the good guys. The people in Gaza are not. Hmm. So I, I took, as I mentioned, classes on the Bible and history of the Middle East when I studied at the University of Arizona. Uh, you're one of the leading scholars uh, on history in this region. Uh, for our listeners, and, and some may have heard this before and some may not have, there have almost always been Jews on this land, hasn't there? We, The first evidence we have for an entity named Israel in this region dates to 1206 BCE. So um, that is a, a, a text called the Merneptah Stila. It's an Egyptian victory stila that mentions the conquest of Pharaoh Merneptah in uh, around 1206-1207, who conquered the region, and he mentions uh, Israel by name and the name Israel. So we know in 1206 BCE, there is an entity there known as Israel. That would be the earliest reference. And outside of the Bible, there are dozens of other textual references from non-biblical, non-Jewish sources from the neighboring countries, from Moab, um, from Aram, from Egypt, all all around Israel, from Babylonia, uh, from Persia, that mentioned this uh, area, and uh, we know that it has a long and distinguished history in that uh, exactly where it is located today. I was uh, in synagogue this morning, and uh, today, as the, as the rabbi uh, said, it was an action-packed Torah passage. Um, today was Parsha Salat, where mm-hmm. it was uh, Moses who had um, his um, his reconnaissance team go into the land of Canaan. Uh, they had now made it all the way from from Egypt. You know, they had spent all of that time in the desert, uh, wandering around, um, and um, he sent these uh, these men to go in and 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 try to see, uh, you know, what was uh, ahead of them. Uh, the Canaanites uh, were there, and and several other uh, lesser tribes. Um, and and there was great there was great um, uh, discussion between uh, between the Jews in in this large group that had uh, fled from from Egypt whether to go in and possibly lose their lives by the sword or go back to Egypt um, and uh, it may it it makes the 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 comment that uh, if one has to ask the question should we 
sometimes you're you're going to fail. You have to look forward and say we are going to do, uh, go do something. But there hasn't always been strife uh, between Jews and Muslims in the region, has there? Well, I, I would actually go back to if you're going back to the time of the Exodus, go maybe even a little earlier. Uh, into the Middle Bronze Age, so the Exodus we would date right around 1200 BCE. The uh, stories about Abraham and Sarah and all their families, those go back a few hundred years before. And so these people have a history there. I would argue that, and it's, and it's quite obvious, that the people of the region, and uh, including the Jews, come from a common background, a common Northwest Semitic background. That means the people that today we would call of Israel, Palestine, um, Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, those people have a very common language back in the Middle Bronze Age, uh, or languages that are, I shouldn't say common, but are languages that share a lot of features. They're, they're Northwest Semitic languages, uh, even called at, at sometimes Canaanite languages. Hebrew is one of those languages. And so these people have this similar language. Their homes and their towns are built the same. Their temples are built the same, and their religious structures are similar. They may have different god names, but how they worship is similar. So these people are actually part of a, a united kind of a cultural entity, uh, and it's only through the process of differentiation that one group says, well, this is what we do, and this is what we don't do. Uh, we don't do what you do. We don't eat what you do. Uh, we eat these things, and we don't eat those things. So it's those kind of differentiations that created those uh, early nation states, how they demarcated the the boundaries between them, both physically on, on land and then also culturally. So Jews and the Arabs of the region had many things in common back in ancient times. And um, today... There, there is a, uh, a negative connotation by some here in this country and around the world uh, to the term or concept of Zionism. Um, describe for, or give the definition for our listeners what Zionism is and what it isn't. Sure. Zionism is the, Zion is a, a, a biblical phrase or a biblical term that relates to Jerusalem and the site of the Temple Mount and the capital of, uh, of, of the monarchic Israel and of the capital later of Judah after the nations had split. So it is the, uh, the home uh, of the ancient Israelite and Judahite people. So the modern version of that is the desire for Jews to return to their land. Having been expelled by the Romans in 70 CE after the Romans, uh, after a Jewish revolt, the Romans conquered Jerusalem, uh, destroyed the temple, and, and, and dispersed the Jews. The goal then always was, throughout Jewish history, uh, through Jewish prayers, through all kinds of uh, rituals uh, that are part of rabbinic Judaism, Jerusalem is never forgotten. And uh, what happened, the desire to return to uh, Israel, uh, to Jerusalem, to Zion, was always there. But then beginning in the 19th century, there became very uh, strong political moves for uh, creating uh, a homeland for Jews who had, at that point, been dispersed for 1,700 years. 
And today, the, the Zionism is the right for Jews to go to Israel to uh, have citizenship in a Jewish nation. That is modern Zionism. Oh, and I want to, because there's, there's been these uh, really awful sort of developments within the left and within um, a whole uh, generation of, of younger Americans. Uh, I want to play a recent Man on the Street video. Tom, could you go ahead and play that? The audio is quite striking. Mark, we'll get right back to you. Um, we're raising money for American Friends for Hamas. So I work for American Friends for Hamas. I work for American Friends for Hamas. Okay. We're not your father's terrorist organization. We've kind of evolved beyond that. It's still kind of what we do, but we've kind of rebuilt and rebranded ourselves. And, and uh, you know, you know, Hamas is where it's at. We're raising money to do what you know we do as Hamas. We want to fund operations against Israel. And you know, the type of uh, attacks we're talking about are cafes and schools and you know, soft targets. The type of operations we're talking about against, you know, soft targets, schools and cafes and that kind of thing. Make them feel it. Hospitals and destroy cafes, you know, shopping malls and schools and places of worship. This is the kind of stuff we're talking about. Civilian populations. And uh, this is the only way you can fight back, really. The suicide bomber's all we've got. I mean, that's kind of like, because it's the poor man's F-15. Right, so, right. And do we get against Israel? And that's kind of what we're looking to do. Okay. Thanks awesome. for your time. Uh, and fund uh, operations against Israel. That's the kind of thing we're doing. Okay. Well, hey, great. thanks for your time, man. Yeah, of course. Appreciate it. Good luck. Thank you. You know, we're essentially the uh, the logical extension of BDS. It's okay. like BDS the next level. is what okay. we're doing. We're kind of like the next level BDS. You know, it's like BDS, and then we're like BDS plus. You know, we we're looking to wipe Israel off the map. Yeah, we want. You know, we we're looking to destroy Israel. We don't want just Gaza. We want to have all of Israel. No, I, I've actually been learning about last in this last school year about everything that's going on over there. So I, I like the sound of what you're doing. It sounds like a great thing to do. Yeah, totally against the Israeli genocide. Awesome. We just want to get rid of Israel. And, you know, yeah. it's for the it's for the Palestinians. Stay off drugs. But we would love if you check out our website. That would be wonderful. Good luck. Thank you. If you feel like donating to help the cause to fight back, and that'd be great. For sure, we'll definitely. And maybe consider making a donation. Sure. Great. Probably like 15 bucks. 15 bucks? Yeah. No, that'd, that'd be great. I don't know, maybe like 10, 20 bucks. 15 to 20. 5 or 10 dollars. Maybe like 10 dollars. 5 dollars. 10 bucks. 10 dollars. 5 or 10 bucks. 10 bucks. Let's say 27 dollars since that seems to be my Bernie donation. This is all about peace and love. We got to fight back against the oppressors. I agree. I agree. See you, brother. Yeah, I mean, it's important to kind of fight back and not let not take it lying down, if you know what I mean. Hey, sure, peace, absolutely. peace and love. Yeah, thank oh, yeah. you. Peace and love. Right, let's yeah, peace go, and love. let's, let's um, add that that was. Um, that was quite a tape. Um, there, there, there really is um, a, 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 a problem, a major problem with extremism uh, here in this country, uh, and not just amongst college students, but really about many Americans below the age of 40, don't you think? Well, first of all, I just have to say I've never heard that before, that, that clip before, and I find it utterly horrifying. Um, I mean, utterly horrifying. Um, and young people responding to this. Um, one might want to warn them that Hamas is a terrorist organization and funding it is illegal in the United States. <laughs> so, uh, for starters, think that. They might want to rethink that, just uh, trying to stay out of prison. Um, 
yeah, I mean, this is, uh, this is Hamas. Uh, the PA has recognized Israel's right to exist. There are all kinds of voices uh, among the Palestinians, and I wouldn't, uh, wouldn't want to stand to say that I represent them. I certainly could not. Uh, but the PA has recognized Israel's right to exist for some time now. Uh, but Hamas has not. And Hamas is exactly doing what this uh, young fellow was saying, uh, wanting to do soft targets. If you look at those uh, rockets that they shot, over 4,300 rockets were launched into Israel. Now, uh, several hundred of them actually fell in the Gaza Strip itself because of whatever, you know, stupidity of the people shooting the rockets. They killed their own people. But 4,300, over 4,300 rockets. And they are fired indiscriminately. Those are fired at civilian targets, not military targets that are selected and identified, but they are, as this person said, soft targets. And he said schools and hospitals. Uh, I mean, that's how, those are actually war crimes uh, by international law. So, um, uh, I mean, this is a scary thing, and it's important. The battle against, uh, and this is not just... Uh, um, anti-Israel stuff. This is the, the base of that is is our forms of anti-Semitism, and they have to be fought at every measure. And we at the University of Arizona are in the process now, uh, right now, of working on um, definition and policies for dealing with anti-Semitism on can on campus. Now, thank God, there have not been really overt or uh, threatening kinds of uh, things so far, but it's always, you know, under the surface. So you have to be prepared for it. And the United States has to battle against anti-Semitism. Most, the, the vast majority of anti-religious um, hate crimes are done against Jews in America, by far the majority, and that against only 2% of the population. So uh, that's something we have to fight, uh, not just here in our, on our campus, in our city, but in our country, uh, indeed, around the world. Ed, uh, Ed um, uh, Mark has been waiting on the line for some time. Uh, is Mark still there? Mark? Can you hear me? Yeah, I'm Mark, hearing. go ahead. We're talking about anti-Semitism. Yes. What's your view uh, on what yes. you just heard? Yes, uh, I'm glad you have him on today. And, uh, well, I'm a great anti-anti-Semite. So, anyway, uh, the, um, and what I mean by that is, anyway, so uh, I, hear I was wondering if, yeah, if he could um, elaborate on the, well, the meaning of the name today that we call Palestinian, the so-called Palestinian. That was a, a renaming of the region by the evil emperor, Roman emperor Hadrian, and back in the oh one somethings one thirties, and um, so he called the he wanted to Hellenize or Greekize the Roman Empire, so he called the whole region Palestheos, which literally means struggles with God, which is the name of Israel, the meaning of Israel, and uh, so he translated the name of Israel into Greek, and today that's where how that got transliterated back into Roman language, and into the English language as Palestinian or Palestinos or Palestinos, and uh, now we call them Palestinian, the so-called well, Palestinians. Well, thank, thanks, Mark. So they're thanks, really, Mark. They're Mark, really thanks for calling. Let, 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 let's, let's let Ed answer that question. Thank you very much for your call. 
Sure. Thank you, Mark. Uh, I, I think I would dispute a little bit of the etymology of the word. Uh, the word actually is origin, the original name assigned to that. There are people living there called Philistines, Philistina. And um, so the area became the, the, Phil- the Philistine, the Palestine land. Uh, so that is kind of the origin of it, not this retroversion from Greek back in, but it's actual, the, that was the name of the peoples that inhabited the coastline. So the people who inhabited the coast, say, up in where we would today say Beirut, uh, up in Lebanon, and down into um, the uh, Philistine cities of, uh, of Gaza, Ashdod, uh, along the coast, the uh, southern coast of what we would call Israel and the Gaza Strip today. So the, that is uh, the connection with the Roman thing is, is a little bit later. And indeed, that is the, that's where they got the word Palestina for this region. So uh, that really is kind of the history of the land, of the name of the land. Dr. Wright, uh, the, during the Trump administration, uh, they didn't feel there was a committed partner with Israel for peace with uh, Hamas and with the Palestinian Authority. And they started what we all know has come to be known as the uh, Abraham Accords. The current administration has turned in another direction. Uh, how do you think this move helps overall peace in the region? The move about not uh, following up on the Abraham Accords? Right. Yeah. Well, the Abraham Accords, look, the Abraham Accords are with countries that Israel did not have a fight with. They never fought the, the Emiratis, <laughs> right? Um, so these, Good point. Um, they, these are people, every one of those are not people with whom they've had a direct military confrontation. But all of those efforts, whenever you bring people together, where's the harm? This is, oper- this is an opportunity to expand um, Israel's uh, connections with its regional uh, potential allies, and that's a good thing. Uh, at the same time, the people that you need to negotiate with, the people that you need to work with, are the Palestinians of the West Bank and with Gaza, but I don't think there's a, much of a front there uh, for peace. But working with the the problem is not with uh, the Emiratis and others, but the uh, Kuwaitis, but with the uh, people living in the West Bank. Those are the people you have to make peace with. At the same time, Israel has to uh, work on its relations with its Arab citizens. Uh, so you have Arabs to, in the West talk Bank. Talk about that. Talk about that. I, I you mentioned that to me before, Ed, and I'm very interested mm-hmm. in hearing because we we hear a lot about. Uh, Arab citizens in Israel who do have the right to vote, uh, to participate in the government, to be part of the judiciary. But you've also mentioned that there are issues uh, that that Israel has or Israelis have with Arab uh, Israelis. Can you describe that? Well, if there's a these uh, the the Arab citizens of Israel feel like second class citizens. I don't mean to speak for them, but there are a lot of areas in which their rights are attenuated. Um, so uh, Israelis have the right to uh, to bring a case for return of property based on documents from the 19th century. Now, this is the Sheikh Jarrah issue in Jerusalem. Uh, we have some people who own property there and have presented documentation that this their families owned it, and they can have that uh, their their uh, grievances addressed. 
the Arab citizens of Israel do not have that same right. They, uh, the courts are not recognizing the data, the documents, the legal documents they present. So there's a difference there. Um, there are, uh, Israel is the nation state of the Jews, but it has a 20% of its population is not Jewish. How do they integrate into that? Um, so that is, uh, Israel has to work on those kind of internal of enfranchising uh, of the of the of its Arab population, uh, much like uh, we here have uh, populations that are not fully enfranchised, that are discriminated against, that uh, uh, have suffered injustice, and we as Americans we can't we're not anyone who can point a finger. Uh, we have our own house to write in that in that matter, but uh, Israel has that same issue. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate to have friends who are both uh, obviously Israeli Jews and Israeli Arabs, a good many on both sides. And, uh, you know, it's most of them all get along for the most part of life, but sometimes uh, you come up against things that are don't work for you uh, as an Arab uh, Israeli. So, but that's not to say you have Arab parties in the Knesset, you have Arab members of the Supreme Court. But that does not mean that everyday discrimination and those kind of things don't happen. And we're, we're, we've run out of time for today. There's lots more to talk about. Uh, you and I are taking a trip together to Israel in the fall uh, that we'll, we'll be talking about a little more uh, through the summer and, and the early fall together. Um, before we go, uh, how can listeners learn more about the Arizona Center for Judaic Studies and the, and the different programs and so on uh, that, that the center uh, puts out? Sure, you can go to our website, uh, judaic.arizona.edu. Uh, we're right on the University of Arizona website. And you can find all about the courses we offer both on campus and in the community, uh, various lectures we have throughout the course of the year. Uh, just before the, the uh, pandemic hit last year, we had an international uh, conference on anti-Semitism. So we do international conferences. Uh, those are academic conferences, but the public's always invited. And uh, we're part of the University of Arizona, and we're here to serve the citizens of Arizona. And we do so with great joy and pride. Dr. Ed Wright, thank you very much. You're my friend, and I'm honored uh, to know you. Um, and uh, I hope to have you on again real soon. The feeling's mutual, and you know, Bruce, I'm always in all right. Uh, Producer Tom, let's go ahead and take our long overdue uh, bottom of the hour break. When we return, LD11 House of Representatives Mark Fincham uh, will join us. You're listening to Inside Track. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Customers come first at Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. What other kind of customers do you have? So our Tucson? biggest customers are actually like ranchers and yeah. people from outside of the Tucson area. They're buying a lot of square tubing. They're buying a lot of stuff for their ranch to close off fences. We'll sell anything from 10 feet to 10,000 feet to somebody that comes in because we have new steel and surplus steel from steel mills. The reason we're able to get such good pricing on some of this stuff is A, we sell scrap to the mill. So. Uh, we have a relationship there and then we can buy material what they're making bringing it back and so we save on freight and we have relationships for years with them so i think that's really our niche market we'll sell whatever you need tucson iron and metal surplus call 209-1579 stop by the yard 701 east 36th street open monday through saturday 
It's termite season. Hi, it's me. And bugs fear the blue trucks from Essential Pest Control. Go blue at Essential Pest Control. We'll eliminate those bugs, bees, and termites. And stop paying too much to that national provider. Buy local for great service and affordable rates. Call Essential Pest Control because termites fear the blue. <laughs> Call for the blue trucks from Essential Pest Control, 886-3029. That's 886-3029. Or check online at EssentialPest.com. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Wouldn't it be great if political leaders could create that country again? Learn how to do exactly that, one family at a time. With Imus Wilkinson Investment Management. Call me, Eb Wilkinson. I am US Wilkinson.com 777-1911. Hey, welcome back to Inside Track. We're gonna skip our commercial for uh Corazon cabinets because I blew through the the last break uh and, and got Mark on too late. I'm very pleased to welcome Arizona House of Representatives. Uh, member and candidate for Arizona Secretary of State, Mark Fincham. Where in Arizona are you today, Mark? Uh, good afternoon, Bruce. I am in Lake Havasu City today, uh, preparing to give a message on election integrity to the Mojave County uh, Lincoln Day dinner this evening. I'll bet you they're going to be pretty receptive. Uh, they're pretty uh, pretty hot to trot right now. They are. Uh, <laughs> they want to know what's going on and and... You know, why is it that I'm under attack? And uh, that's that's interesting that they are concerned about the makeup of the House of Representatives, because, as you know, we're a 3129 body right now, 31 Republicans, 29 Democrats. And the Democrats basically uh, they want to take the opportunity to try and flip the state of Arizona to blue. And and that's not hyperbole. That is absolute fact. That is their objective. And why are the, so besides the obvious, um, um, you know, they want to flip the, the, the House of Representatives, on what basis do they, uh, do they make the claim that you should be recalled or removed from office? This is outrageous. Well, it is outrageous. The, uh, the, the House and Senate Democrats uh, earlier this year in January made a fallacious and, and malicious false report to the DOJ and to the FBI claiming that I had led and planned and financed and done everything possible to uh, promote the assault on our capital. They called it an armed insurrection, which, by the way, it's already been proven that it wasn't an armed insurrection. It wasn't even an insurrection. It was essentially a protest that went went terribly wrong. But just because I was in Washington, D.C. and on the plaza where the Capitol's at, suddenly I'm the guy that uh, they want to vilify. Come to find out, they're actually doing that to uh, Representative Doug Mastriano in Pennsylvania. And there's a couple of others that they're doing it to. This is a, an attempt to lie to the voters about things that are just, they're, they're just patently untrue. And because I'm in the midst of suing all of them, uh, I, I can't really make a lot of comment publicly, so I'm I'm kind of in a catch-22. I can't defend myself uh, because the, the argument is going to go to court, uh, and quite frankly, it takes money to get into court. So we're we're waiting on donors to, to add to the war chest, but we're kind of stuck because we can't serve Charlene Fernandez, who is the first member that we're going to sue over this. We can't really sue her until we sign a die, which is we're out of session because of legislative immunity. But 
be that as it may, they have made up this this straw man. They want to make me out to be uh, a traitor for, quite frankly, exercising my First Amendment right. Uh, nobody did this to Estelle Blanc two years ago when she was arrested in Washington, D.C., uh, for occupying the steps, I believe it was to the Supreme Court, and obstructing. I, I wasn't even obstructing. I was simply in Washington, D.C. So uh, it's it's amazing to me what the Democrat Party is willing to do to seize power. And that's what this is about. They want to seize power over the state of Arizona, and they want to uh, have me removed from office, a legitimate candidate elected by the people to represent their First Amendment right, which is essentially the freedom of thought and the freedom to speak. Uh, that's the problem that they have with me is because I won't sit down and shut up. So we find ourselves now having to defend against a baseless, uh, irresponsible attempt by uh, a few um, far left radicals. Uh, they've hired BLM and organizations from out of state to come in and collect signatures and to try and get this on the ballot. Um, fortunately, many voters have rejected this call. And in fact, from what I understand, um, they're, when people show up on their doorstep, they're basically telling them, you need to, you need to go away because this is, not, this is not a legitimate effort. So, so Representative Fincham, let's talk about the 22 vetoes that the governor issued a week ago, um, uh, saying that it was about the budget and needing to get the budget done. There was some very, very critical legislation which had been passed uh, in that group of vetoes, weren't they? Uh, yes, sir. In fact, I find it ironic that the governor made the statement that we need to get to the people's business and, and get a budget passed. Well, apparently he doesn't understand the legislative process. We had already completed the people's business and put that completion on his desk. The only effort he had to engage in was to pick up a pen and put a signature to it. So essentially what this was was extortion by the chief executive of this state, and I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's probably one of the most disgusting uh, representations of executive power that I have seen in the seven years that this man has been in office. Uh, these are critical pieces of legislation, critical race theory, for example. The, the uh, inculcation of bigotry into our schools and our government offices. And we, we attempted to put an end to that, but he vetoed that bill. He vetoed critical uh, election integrity legislation. So I think it's probably one of the most irresponsible things that I've seen this guy do, but I, I'm not surprised after what we saw uh, on November 30th when he signed on to um, what we later, we have now, I think, come very close to categorically proving uh, that the canvas was a, was a fraud. Well, that well, hopefully we'll have time to get to 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 the audit that's going on again uh, in just a second. I want to talk with you about the budget. So, what was so wrong about the budget that was put on his desk uh, that he uh, basically took no action on it and has issued these twenty two vetoes? Well, there's a disagreement uh, amongst Republicans uh, about what should be in the budget. And quite frankly, you know, I'm on record as saying that there's enough pork in this thing to make it look like a barbecue. Uh, we we cannot, some of us, the fiscal hawks, cannot just in good conscience pass a budget that is loaded with so much spending that is is really at the governor's discretion. He can hand this out to his buddies. 
And I, I'm just I have a real problem with that. This is money that belongs to the taxpayers. And this governor seems to have forgotten that. Uh, we also have a tax package that uh, we I support uh, takes us from four and a half percent down to a flat tax of, I think, two and a quarter, two and a half percent. Um, which, when you think about the people who have lost their businesses, the foreclosures that are about to come, the people who have lost their livelihoods uh, and that are never to come back, uh, I think it's irresponsible to keep this this so-called surplus. The other thing that I have a problem with is the the money that is in the surplus. That's all from a juiced economy. I mean, right. This is money that the the federal government has has poured fiat currency into the system. And I think that we are setting ourselves up for a huge problem if we don't put that back in the, in the pockets of the taxpayers. And by the way, uh, I've, I've been on record for a very long time with the understanding that the best way to recession-proof an economy is to reduce government spending while you can and to put that money back in the pockets of the taxpayers so that when the time comes that they have to protect themselves uh, from an economic downturn, they have that capacity. And right now, uh, this just appears to be a spendthrift plan. Um, I'm told that we've got some amendments that are going to curtail that. Uh, I'll have to see what that looks like over the weekend and going into Monday's uh, caucus. I'm still not convinced that we have reduced enough and we've given the taxpayers their money back. Well, it's always a, it's always a better plan when uh, the citizens have a right to do with their money as they see fit in terms of how to protect themselves. Uh, and sooner and sooner or later, there will be a budget because obviously uh, you can't sign a die until that occurs. Um, but but are the impediments uh, a couple or a few or more than a few? Um, I would say left of center Republicans uh, who are creating the problems or is there or are there other problems creating this impasse? Yeah, we have a substantial problem with some some members who are termed out which means they won't be back. That's one of the problems with term limits is people do things near the end of their terms. Um, and I'm not against term limits. I'm just saying this is a reality of it. When, you, when you're faced with a term limit and you don't have to face the consequences of what your votes are, uh, there's this tendency to uh, engage in mischief that I don't think you would engage in if you had an eye towards what the constituents are really um, asking you to do. Um, I, I don't know that... First of all, we'll, we'll have a budget. Thank you. Uh, in spite of the the chief executive's temper tantrum that, quite frankly, is uh, befitting a toddler. Um, I think uh, actually Democrat uh, Senator Tony Navarrete came up with that, uh, that, that term, and I think he's spot on. Um, we've got 30 days, a little under 30 days to get a budget done. I'm very confident that we will get a budget done. Um, but the temper tantrum was over. The governor wanted certain things in the budget, and he wasn't willing to budge. Well, that's not how this works. The House of Representatives is the appropriating authority. We're the ones who are supposed to be watching the purse strings of the, the state government. And if there is a group of us, in fact, it's about nine, eight or nine of us, who have just said there, there's a couple of things in here that we have a serious problem with. And unless they come out, I mean, we look at the gaming compact, for example, uh, the state of Arizona really did not do well in that negotiation. In fact, I think that it was probably one of the poorest business negotiations um, that I, I've witnessed, albeit after the fact. Um, we had absolutely no say in it. We weren't briefed on it. Uh, so this governor is act very much like a, a, a petite dictator as opposed to an executive that brings people in and works with them. Uh, you know, the other thing that has 
us all, uh, not Real all quick, of us, Mark. but many of us up, up in arms is the fact that we still have a public health emergency declaration in place. Where's the public health emergency? The only reason it's still in place is to keep the door open so that he can draw down federal taxpayer dollars and hand those that money out to his friends as well. Well, Mark, we're going to have to end it right there. Uh, come back to to us and, and talk with us again. Uh, they've got 30 days, to figure, actually less than 30 days to figure this out. And we want to know where things are. Uh, and thank you very much for taking time out of your day up in Havasu. Insiders, uh, hope you enjoyed today's chat with Arizona Center for Judaic Studies Director Dr. Ed Wright and also Arizona State House Rep Mark Fincham. When we return with another live show next week, we will visit with former U.S. Ambassador to the Kingdom of Thailand, Michael DeSombre, who will join us to discuss the situation of 9 million Americans living and working abroad and how they've been ignored by our government. And until next Wednesday, until next Saturday, this is Bruce Ash thanking you all for joining us and wishing everyone a very pleasant good afternoon. Customers come first at Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. A lot of the, the cities and the counties around have initiatives for artists. I think we're one of the premier artist suppliers for steel. First Saturday of every month, you can come down early and actually go through the scrapyard across the street. It's seven acres of metal. You can walk through with our people and pick out what you want. It's always interesting to see what the artists have done. We've done uh, actually a couple projects with the U of A engineering department and music department where the engineering music students came down together. They had to pick something out of the scrap and uh, they had to build an instrument. And we have one of those in front of the plant. Some really cool things come out of the scrap. Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. Call 209-1579. Stop by the yard. 701 East 36th Street. Open Monday through Saturday. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Wouldn't it be great if political leaders could create that country again? Learn how to do exactly that, one family at a time, with Imus Wilkinson Investment Management. Call me, Eb Wilkinson, imuswilkinson.com, 777-1911, 777-1911.